Welcome to the Behavioral Grooves Podcast. My name is Tim Houlihan. And I'm Kurt Nelson. We interview interesting people in order to unlock insights into behavioral science and how we can apply that to work and life. This episode, we talked with Kyle Simonson, a marketing consultant, who is a former snowmobile expert. Yes, well. I, the the only professional snowmobile racer we've had on the podcast so far. And the only one we know. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Our com- Very true. Yeah, our conversation started about how Kyle's snowmobiling actually led him into marketing and then into automated marketing and digital strategy. Yeah, and uh, the conversation led into a common theme that we have on these podcasts as of late, uh, the intersection of uh, AI and behavioral science and its use in marketing and the ethics around that. Absolutely. Uh, Kyle's comment, when marketing is really good, you shouldn't see it, was sort of the tip-off point for that, I think. Yes. Uh, We had a good discussion about books like Predictably Irrational and The Undoing Project and talked about one of your favorites for for podcasts, Tim Tim Ferriss. Ferriss. There we go. Exactly. So, Hopefully you will enjoy this conversation that we had with Kyle. Uh, We certainly did. And with that, here we go. Simonson, welcome to the Behavioral Groove Studios. Thank you. We're Thank gl- you for having me. We're glad to have you here. Yeah, excited um, to be here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to uh, share some information about you with uh, with our listeners uh, here today. But uh, we'd like to start with a speed round. So right. Monet versus Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Okay. Juicy Lucy's love him or hate him? Hate? Oh no, not. I said, hey, that was. A- Quick response: Love. Oh, okay, love. okay. Love. Okay. If I said, "Hey, I, I be hope I would be kicked out of here." I okay. Think, I think, uh, right? Minneapolis or St. Paul? Minneapolis. All right. Um, loss aversion or social proof drives more behavior. Social proof. All right. Okay. There you go. Okay. Good, good. Good stuff. Good. We, yeah, we, you, you, there, I don't know if there's a Freudian slip there on the GC yeah, Lucy's. Yeah, I'm like just wondering. You know what I thought? I thought we were going to go Mats versus 5'8 on that then, too. <laughs> so that's where I'll go. I'll go there instead of that. Which, in that case, it, I will go Mats. You would? Okay. I will Blue go Door versus Mats. I used to live by the Blue Door in Minneapolis, so I think I have to keep it. Also, I have to go Mats. But really? I, but I love the Blue Door. Yeah. I like I like that they switch it up a little bit, and I absolutely love that they had the the Big Mac burger that they had to take off, but they kept it on. They just called it the cease and desist because McDonald's <laughs> sent them oh, the I cease and desist. That was that was the deal behind it. Yeah. That's my favorite Juicy Lucy from uh, from Blue Door. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, uh, Kyle, let's start with if you can just tell us a little bit about um, about how you got interested in in behavioral sciences and. And what you do with it today. Yeah. So um, that's kind of big. Let's break it up into two. So my, that? I have a cheesy kind of marketing story. So I'm all things kind of digital marketing. Um, I'll kind of give like not a high level elevator speech, I guess, like that. But No um, elevator speeches. No elevator podcast. speeches. No. But um, I was actually, so when I was, when I was going to school, I was actually going to become an elementary teacher. Um, my mom was an elementary teacher okay. and she kind of moved up into be a principal and secondary education and, and whatnot. Um, and so when I was going to go to school, I was going to be an elementary teacher. I'm like, that's it. I saw it. I loved it. Love kids and everything. Um, but it was actually detour. Side note, I was also um, racing snowmobiles on the side. Um, and so I actually took a few years off of school 
and uh, and race snowmobiles. Yeah, you were a couple professional. Of years. Yeah, you were yeah. actually paid to do that. Yeah, and uh, it was. You know, I have never met a professional snowmobiler before in my <laughs> life. It is a first time. Yeah, for everything. it was, uh, and it was super exciting. But it, and it was during that time that I really saw brands and organizations kind of attaching themselves to me and the communication that they were having with their customers or you know clients or whoever they may be to impact their business by the results that I was having and you know just the the brand awareness aspect of things the content around it super intriguing so I ultimately lost my ride um and then said I'm said sorry mom I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna do marketing so um I did that did she kick you out of the house at that point I was already kicked out already so but just just from just being in school and stuff like that so nothing nothing too crazy there um and then, you know, through through college and everything like that, I actually just dove into all things marketing and and love it. And but but this yeah. this this part of the story that that connects you to brands. Uh, your your career has followed brands, and you you've kind of been a lover of brands for some time. I have. So so this this work that you were doing as as a professional snowmobile racer, <laughs> uh, this somehow connects you to brands. Uh, talk more about that. Yeah. So when you're when you're snowmobiling and you 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 do get paid, you get the payouts and everything like that for how you finish, right? You have points just like anything else. If you know, what was it? It was Daytona last week. We can talk NASCAR. I'm not a NASCAR guy, but if we can frame it up that way, you know, you get points for how you ever you do mm-hmm. on a weekend basis. And, uh, and that's great, but there's, there's a, an aspect of it of brands and tying them back to you. So you could go to an organization or an enterprise and go, Hey, you know, you have the opportunity here to tie yourself to me and my performance and see all of these different customers. Here's the customer base around 16 to 35 years old. This is their buying kind of habits. You know, you see a lot of um, a lot of racers in that type of industry with like Monster, right? Or yep. Red Bull and stuff like that's their demographic that they're going after. So you have the opportunity to kind of go after these different organizations to go, hey, tie yourself to me. Your brand is going to be exposed to hundreds of thousands of people. And they're going to know you. Your brand awareness is going to go up. That's going to impact their um, um, their purchasing of your product, or you know, at least some more discovery around it. Um, and then ultimately, you can latch onto more. You can do autograph sessions. I still remember doing autograph wow. sessions back when there was like you remember there were multiple cell phone companies, not just like four. There were multiple. <laughs> so I was like, one of my sponsors was. Uh, was a, a mid <laughs> Midwest Minnesota cellular company. So going there, like t- attaching themselves to, to my brand and stuff, and then going to these little shops and doing autograph sessions and hanging on my cards and everything like that. And then obviously like, you know, the end result, you know, please help me actually do this thing yeah. by handing me some money as well from a sponsorships aspect of things. So, so, so were you, uh, were you connect like? Do you feel like uh, those companies that were sponsoring you, like this mm-hmm. this Midwest cell phone company, were they looking at you specifically? Were they? Was there some analytics? Do you think, or, or some kind of behavioral research around the crowd that you attracted and the crowd mm-hmm. that they wanted to attract? Yeah, most definitely. So when I would go and you know you start out as a privateer, right? Like you don't. Not everybody has like a full ride, so you really have to. It's business development. You're pounding the pavement. So I would create my own pitches and my own, um, you know, sell sheets, okay. uh, resumes, and everything like that. And like this, these are the types of people. This is what we see. This is the type of um, you know things you can get from a level 
aspect of things then too. And having that background really helps. So I think I was the vehicle to get in touch with that consumer base. And so you had to do that background research on your own. Yeah. So that's not something. So it's not like a Arctic cat coming in and going, all right, here are the top 15 mm-hmm. snowmobile racers. No. And, you know, Johnny Smith has <laughs> this and Kyle has this demographic volume. You're actually bringing that to Yeah, the, you're trying to bring that in. You know, that I think when you get into that top tier, yep. that's when it really is helpful because Arctic cat will, or Polaris or Skidoo or whoever will help it kind of. Yeah. guide that conversation for you and it makes it a little bit more easier okay. but, but uh, not at the beginning not at the beginning not at the beginning you really have to own it and you got to mm-hmm. kind of do it so that was kind of now that you know we're talking about stuff too that's kind of the first dive into the entrepreneurial small business yeah. type of thing like on a, almost like a little kid doing the lemonade stand to a certain <laughs> extent right so um, doing that type of stuff really uh, really kind of shapes you as you kind of go forward in your career too well, and you, you think about the business of any of those types of sports where they have that sponsorship component and, and various different things. I think, um, at least I know a few people that I, I my brother-in-law is a former race car driver, mm. and I know a couple of people that used to be, you know, downhill skiers trying to get into that thing. And, and it was all about the sponsorships. And, so there's, I, and they, I think there's an element of that that lends themselves into later in life being entrepreneurs it'd be an interesting social uh study that we could yeah. do yeah yeah you it wonder is. about that uh, i mean you're a guy who you've worked in a bunch of corporate environments but you're always kind of carving your own way yeah uh i mean as i've i've tracked your career over the last you know 10 years or so you know you you continue to find opportunities to build and create yeah even if, even though it's within a larger organization yeah, and, most definitely. And now, tell tell the listeners about what you're up to these days. So I'm doing um, some high level senior marketing consulting for organizations around you know mostly the Minneapolis area, um, focused around digital strategy, um, but all things still marketing. I'm a marketer at heart and love everything that comprises the digital ecosystem. So whether that be um, web dev, e-commerce, content marketing, social media, um, you know encompassing all that into a higher level strategy component of things. How can we tie it all together? That's kind of what I'm helping uh, clients guide their paths on. You know, technology kind of follows into that too, not just e-commerce. A big thing that my my past is, has included is marketing automation too okay. and making sure, you know, we're targeting the right people at the right time with the right content and making things personal for them. So, so uh, that's a huge component. So ahead. how do you take a behavioral science perspective Mm -hmm. and apply that to what you're doing. So help us understand how you apply that behavioral science lens to the world of digital strategy and high level marketing. Yeah, thanks for just stealing my question, Kurt. Now I have one less question to oh, ask. No. Hey, you just hey, talk. I am just giving back from past interviews where my mouth was ready to say the words and you just stole them out. You took the words right out of my mouth when I needed them most. I think, you know, Digital marketing has a lot of strategy that composes of it, but then also a lot of executional tactical things that comprise it, right? So if we kind of dissect each one of those different things, you know, we can talk about, you know, PPC or SEM based behavior and and looking at things from a framing aspect of things. And 
using the content that comprises of those PPC, you know, ads that you see on Google. Okay, so um, PPC, sorry. Uh, pay-per-click. Okay, yep. pay-per-click. So when you type, type in uh, behavioral economics at the top, that's when uh, you're going to get uh, the undoing project right at the top of the results because somebody's going to pay for you to click there first. Okay. Um, or else if you want to go to um, Matt's tonight. Yep. Um, and have a burger. You're going to see their reviews up at the top, um, which gets into some social proof things too. So um, when you look at that and the PPC stuff, it's it's kind of encompassing. It's what kind of content can we see that the customer is ultimately going to react to in an effective way. Okay. So looking at the data around that and what type of things can we say from a verbiage perspective um, to enhance that action or yeah, that engagement, and are words the biggest influencers there? Because this is the, mm-hmm. the, they're reading text, right? This yeah. is this is the what's coming back in the search engine results. Yeah, I think for that aspect of things, it is you know um, text based things. But we can take it another. We can kind of parallel it too with you know other things from if you've ever been on YouTube, right? And you're mm-hmm. clicking on um, your favorite YouTube channel or anything like that. Uh, you'll see those ads right at the bottom, right? That you have to quick hit X, you know, like, I don't want to see this. Um, but it's it's actually content that you were looking at beforehand that you didn't even maybe know. It's kind of that implicit um, based behavior and targeting, targeting you on that channel. So yeah. I think it goes from a context perspective to a content to a visual aspect of things. Okay. And I think kind of when we're talking about marketing automation, that could be the big thing too, because there you're mixing everything. You can dynamically say things based on who I am as a person or who I am as a customer, I should say, way more effectively based on the data. So as an example, right, we can look at the data that uh, that any organization has, right? And we can say that I was on Amazon and I purchased um, some whey protein, right? Okay. Um, Amazon's going to have that. I'm going to use Amazon because obviously Amazon's the elephant room. They're just really good at everything. And now they just have me on Prime and now I'm watching things on Prime and they just got me. So um, anyway. May, may the truth set you free, brother. I know, I know, I know. Um, but they have this huge database and they, they're going to show you, okay, you purchase whey protein. Well, maybe you want some extra caffeine to go with that. Or here's some shaker bottles. Um, and that's always going to be following you and that's shaping you as a consumer, even, you know, a month down, six months, 18 mm-hmm. months down the line, they're going to know this about you and they're shaping a profile of you. And they're also shaping other people like you. So when we talk about even marketing automation, it's the same type of functionality. If I go on and I go to Amazon again, right. And I'm going to buy that shaker bottle. They're going to send me a confirmation email that's specific to me. They're going to show me products, kind of that choice architecture type of approach of things, right? They're going to show me just these limited things that could kind of go into not so much framing, but um, yeah, more so, more so choice architecture or um, yeah. And, and really kind of making it one-to-one. I'll give you another, maybe even uh, e-commerce or retail example too, right? Um, A good one that does this is, uh, um, Nordstrom's. Okay. So if I go in there, they're going to know that I'm a male and I bought a suit. I'm going to see an email from them. I always, I get these all the time and I save them in my, my email of like, these are really good. Like these are really okay. good. Yes, but yeah. Um, yeah. they, they'll send me something that I'm like, Oh, this is the suit that I bought. 
and this is you know a person you know this is a male and it's showing me other things. Here's a tie. Here's a here's a shirt that okay. would maybe match this. That maybe actually goes with yeah. that suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting too because my wife will come with me on this shopping expedition. She'll also get an email, totally different, same time, same everything. We check, you know, she checked mm. out maybe different lanes or whatever. She has a different account, same email, same kind of structure from a template perspective. Totally different content. All specific to her, looking at her blouse, her color. These are things that go back with it. So, so super interesting. So we had a conversation last week, actually. Am I stealing another one? Tim <laughs> is giving me one. the look. There's a trend. <laughs> There's a trend here. We had a conversation last week with Charlotte Blake, uh, who mm-hmm. presented at our uh, meetup that we did on Thursday night. And she was talking about... Uh, don't be creepy and and in that mm. aspect data of data transparency sure yeah, data sure. transparency and don't be creepy and so at what point does this you know marketing automation cross that line from being helpful into a little bit creepy on that perspective that's really interesting from a from a creepiness perspective. I've done uh, I've done some POCs before too, where it really really threads, you know, or I shouldn't say threads, but really kind of straddles that line of creepiness, you know. POCs uh, again. Uh, proof of concepts. Okay. Um, where we kind of kind of take a retail brand, for example, and just kind of spitballing it. It could be a retail brand. Let's say you go to. Um, LA, right? Okay. You're shopping in LA, you're at LAX, you're going, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this book, right? It's it's the undoing project, right? Because it's amazing. <laughs> and we're gonna buy I'm gonna buy it. Um, through that bookstore, I don't know, do they have books at Barnes and Noble, right? Is there is that still a thing? It is. Because for the sake of this, it is still a thing. Um, <laughs> the couple that are still around, they are they know that you bought that. They're going to see that you bought it there. You might go buy and um, and you might check your Facebook right after you buy that. Okay. They're gonna see that you bought that. They might tee up another another ad to you in Facebook, right? Okay. And it says, "Hey, yes, you you know." They're gonna not maybe not know that. Um, they're not gonna say, "Oh, you bought the Undoing Project," but they're gonna know that based on that genre, maybe based on Michael Lewis as the offer. You're like, "Hey, have you looked at Moneyball?" Okay. And they're gonna see that, but is it? But it won't stop there, right? Like you, they know you're in LA. They might show you an ad like, "Hey, don't forget to stop at." I don't know if Barnes and Noble. They used to have a joint thing with Starbucks too, right? Don't forget to stop and get a coffee at the Starbucks in LAX. You could hop on a flight back to Minneapolis. You could touch down. You could check your phone and you turned it off, right? Because the pilot told you to. You could turn it back on. You could have a text message that says, hey, we see you landed. Congratulations or, you know, safe travels. You landed in Minneapolis. Don't forget to stop by Barnes and Noble and pick up another book if you wanted to, if you opted into that. So from a creepiness perspective, that's super creepy, (laughs) but it's all possible and it's all, it's all happening right right now too, which is interesting. Well, I was just in Vegas, right? And so the feeds that I got on my Facebook in Vegas, vastly different than the feeds <laughs> I got. It. Oh, I, I mean, it, it was about all of the shows that you can see in Vegas. Oh, it was, and it was like I'm going. Do you have any friends in face in in Las Vegas? Any people on Facebook that you're friends with? Yeah, a couple. Okay, yeah, but, but I mean, it was. Were it they was more just, prominent in in the feed as well? Or? You know, I don't. I, I, that I don't know. Not That's no an interesting piece. I don't. I don't recall that. I do know that the the ads that came up on the side and the various different pieces were very much um, Vegas focused. Where I'm going, I haven't t- 
told anybody that I'm in Vegas. It wasn't like I went out on Facebook and said, hey, I'm in Vegas now. But because of whatever, they're able to, to see, mm-hmm. track my IP, IP, IP yeah. you know, and through the hotel that mm-hmm. I logged in on. And there it was. So what do you so in when it comes to digital strategy, Kyle, what do you think about the ethics behind this creepiness? What do you what do you think about the the potential ethical issues? I think from that perspective, I think I think it's okay as long as it's done effectively. Like I think with anything, if it's good marketing, then you good marketing you shouldn't see it, right? Like it should just be kind of organic, right? You shouldn't even know what's happening. I think it's bad and it's creepy when it's a little bit too explicit, right? And they just know a little bit too much. Um, and there's a, there's a line there too, I think. But I'm okay with it as long as it's done, you know, within within good terms with the customer. You start to get bad feedback. You start to get, you know, unsubscribes or um, information reach outs on, on websites and whatnot. Then it starts to... It starts to kind of cascade. So what? Okay. Where? Where does that line get drawn? And this is it, we've talked about this a couple other times mm-hmm. too, Tim. So when you start applying behavioral science principles to this, like for instance, the way that you frame something up, um, the choice architecture that you do, bringing in all of this data analytics around this, they're even getting to the point where there are organizations that can look at your Facebook likes and determine your personality profile from a big five better mm-hmm. than if you filled it out in an actual, you know, uh, survey format or an assessment. Mm-hmm. And, and using that type of information to uh, work on our emotions to either buy something that maybe we really didn't want to buy or, you know, because it is at that subconscious level that it's almost working. So where is that again, that the ethical component of saying, is there a line? Is there not a line? Is that line way far out there? Or is that line really close? That's a great question. I don't think the line is that far out there. And okay. I think we're kind of seeing that, right, from different things that are in the news and how people people's perception are getting manipulated a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, but to what degree, I don't know. But I think to your point, I think the line is is getting closer. And okay. we just I don't think I don't think we want to be there when we go over that line, though. <laughs> do you, well, do you see, and let me ask you this, do you see clients, uh, not trying to pin anybody's ears back mm. specifically, but do you see clients asking for things that, that you say, well, I think that you're you're too close to the line on this, or are we even crossing the line? I don't think so. Not not yet, anyway. I think everybody is really seeing they, they're pretty conscious of it, and they don't want, they, they know that line, right? Everybody has their own comfort level from them as, you know, good, you know, good people, you know, for the most part. So I think everybody knows it and are trying their best to kind of straddle that line more effectively. So I think, I don't think we're, we're at that point. At least well, from what I I've mean, seen. a common example is the, the target marketing story when they've been watching uh, young women and their buying patterns. And when they noticed that, that certain women were buying particular products, they, they were making a mm. conclusion, drawing a conclusion that they were pregnant. Mm. And sent yes. you know, and sent the email to the house, or sent some kind of you know promotion to the house that said, "Oh, congratulations, you're pregnant, and here's some products you can buy." And then 
dad was pretty unhappy that he didn't realize that his daughter was pregnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, daughter didn't even realize that she was pregnant. That oh, was oh, the, oh, oh, I mean, I, that's that's actually <laughs> the interesting part is the they daughter didn't are able daughter. to to predict even before some of the people mm-hmm. uh, know that they're pregnant. So yeah. Yeah, that gets creepy. Yeah, that's uh, in my more. personal viewpoint, that's that's a little creepy. But that's that can maybe get back to good and bad marketing, though, too. Like as a marketing manager or of an organization like that, too, we sh- should kind of be. You know, that's a sensitive area, too, right? So you mm-hmm. do want to be and have good diligence, right, to to know what to do effectively. Yeah, that's different than saying, "Oh, you're somebody who probably." likes peanut butter, you know, and so we're going to sell you peanut butter. butter. Yeah, so here's some jelly to try <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah. That, that, that. That's probably a line there, right? Yeah, that you might exactly. be more inclined to, that, that line is further out in some of those in, more innocuous kind of mm-hmm. purchases versus some of the more in, in intangible ones or, or emotional ones that, that people have. So, yeah. so uh, Kyle, you are... Uh, you know, you you've read a lot. I know that you've read a lot in this in this area. What are the what are the the books or articles or things that come to mind that you just think were really seminal works and important to you um, as a marketer, mm-hmm. uh, as a practitioner? Uh, things that kind of got you excited and helped you apply sure. better behavioral sciences. So I really loved, obviously, predictably irrational. Yeah. I thought that was great. Um, and we alluded to it a little bit before. Um, I liked, I liked, I'm a, I, I really like history too. So we already mentioned the Undoing Project. Mm-hmm. I, I love that because it kind of shows how everything started to a certain extent. So I, those are the two, hmm. those are the two biggest things that I look at. What and was it about Predictably Irrational that really got your attention? Just these two guys from two different types of of backgrounds, right, and how their upbringing impacted how they kind of like their not their career but their life right their life oh, the journey Kahneman, Kahneman and Tversky yeah, yeah yeah and how it impacted how they socially kind of interacted with people and how what they really saw and their kind of journey and it, it brought them together but it looked at it looked outwards but then mm-hmm. it also looked inwards on themselves I thought that was just it was it's a great story I think we can all look look at that too. Not to yeah. get sappy on a Friday afternoon either. It's okay, it's okay to get sappy. We, if we want to, we. Oh, Kurt's like, oh no, no way. Okay, oh. we're not getting sappy. <laughs> Just joking. We can get as sappy as we want. <laughs> like you know, we've talked about donuts. We have. We've talked about lots of different things on this. What, so what, one of the things that uh, to go back to another uh, to a previous interview that we had with um, with a guy from the NSA, Chris Dobbins, was talking about the employee value proposition changing potentially daily uh, as the company learns more about what's going on in the employee's life. Mm. Uh, so it, so imagine as a marketer, right, you have access yeah. to, to um, or if you can, access a whole variety of information that would influence how you're going to market to someone on a daily basis. What do you think about an employee value proposition changing that frequently based on your Activities and sure. the kinds of things that you're doing at work. I think it's kind of the same. I think it's. I think you can do the same type of methodologies and the same, you know, tactical things in a good stewardship type of way. Though mm. I think you you really have to know the line. We're talking a lot about lines today too. Yep. I think the lines are a little bit closer on that one too, just based on who the market is, right? If the mar- if you're marketing to in fe- effectively your employees, right? You have to be aware 
and know that, you know, if we're talking about life, life structures, like I'm going to go on a paternity leave, right? We're going to know I'm going to apply for that for my, my manager's going to see that the, um, the system or the data is going to show HR about that. Now that's going to show, okay, here are my steps. I think that's an effective way to do it, to show, okay, get ready for your paternity leave. I think as a good organization, that's great because then I can go, okay, I see you did your, your paternity. Um, here's some things that we can see. Here's some content. Here's some things that you should run by your manager. Make sure you have these projects off of your, off of your, um, your plate. Make sure you have your backup. And, you know, congratulations, those types of things. I think that's really great. Sort of like using the superpower of information for Yeah, growth, I think right? that's great. I think, it, but again, you have to be a good steward of it, though, too, right? You can't say, you know, I see that you've, um, you've gotten sick every single week for the past two months, you know, and then red flag that and start to, to kind of go about things. I think that could get a little bit intrusive and then you go, okay, well, are you really sick? Are you... is what's happening here but I think if you frame it a different way and go hey is everything okay do we have these we have these services if that that are offered as far as you know other medical other medical examples or you know physical psychological things that can that can help if you're getting burnt out if you know do we have to have a conversation so yeah you're sick every monday morning and friday afternoon yeah exactly weird weird yeah i don't know (laughs) tim i wrote down a a superpower of information for good i think i'm going to use that that quote sometime (laughs) superpower for good a superpower of information for good speaking of which what would be your superpower for an hour Kyle, Ooh. If you could have any superpower for an hour. What would, what would yours be? Superpower for an hour. I think uh, I'm. A, I like to get up. I like to run. Okay. But I, I'm. I don't think I'm a very fast runner as much as I would like to. So it'd probably be like the Flash. I'd like to go pretty oh, fast. Yeah. Okay. Because as much as I, I, I try to run every morning, I try to run four miles. Okay. That's my goal. That's what I try to do. But I always think that I, I, I kind of like, not creepily look, but I kind of like look at other people's treadmills and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're at 7.5, I'm at like 6.2. <laughs> like, I got to step this up, but I'm not that fast. So I think that would it'd be nice to be a little bit faster. You need to run with blinders on. I, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> so, so you run every morning. Has that been something that you've been doing for a long time? Is that... Sorry, we are we are diverging. No, that's like, okay. We are, we are bouncing one no. after the other year. Um, I've always kind of I've always liked to run. I actually got it through through racing snowmobiles from a cardio standpoint, right? I mean, you yep. have to run long heat races. You have to you know, you really have to be in peak condition when you're a snowmobile racer. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. I mean you really have to? I thought you were just kind of sitting and just revving the engines. Oh, on your wrists. oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Uh, it's not a wrist on a snowmobile. Dude. <laughs> Get with it. <laughs> um, so I've, I've always liked that. And it got into, you know, for training, that's super nice. But now it's become, how can I get my head right then too? I have to do it because it gets me focused and it gets me going. So I used to do it at night um, and do like, late, you know, early, later, later evenings and stuff. Yep. I was still light out. But, you know, we're in Minnesota too. So now we're just coming back from it's getting light out before yep. six o'clock. So that's really nice. So I actually started to switch and I have a three and a half year old daughter and uh, and my wife at home and you know leaving them at night to go run and everything I had to clear my head I was like no I'm gonna I'm gonna do a 180 here I'm gonna get up early I'm gonna start I'm gonna start running in the morning before you know they're still sleeping and whatever and then it's more time at at night to spend with them so it's nice okay. 
And yeah. so yeah. one of one of the things that we talk about oftentimes are routines and habits. And so mm-hmm. how did you so that switch isn't always an easy switch for people, no. right? Particularly in the morning, it's easy. It's particularly Minnesota. It's cold <laughs> out. It's dark. You know, that snooze is really easy to hit as opposed to actually getting up. So yeah. are there any tricks that you did? Any things that helped you in kind yeah. of maintaining that regiment to get up? It was actually, I was reading a book. So I read, I'm, I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. If you oh, guys yeah. listen to Tim Ferriss, so I read... Um, Oh, what was it? It's not. I'm reading. Tri- I'm midway through Tribe of Mentors right now, okay. which I love. Um, but Tools for Titans. Okay. Um, they, everybody in there was talking about. You know, they're getting up early. I think Tony Robbins. I think his deal is right. He wakes up every morning at five and jumps in his super cold pool. Ice bath. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. his ice bath. Like that's huge, right? So it was. It was hearing. I'm like, well, these guys can't be crazy. Like, there's well, got to be some that... sort of method to the madness. <laughs> so I just kind of started doing it. And actually, it was through that book too. I kind of started meditating then too. Okay. So downloading um, heads, the Headspace app, you know, yep. not shameless plug here or anything like that, but um, the Headspace app to kind of do that. And that kind of got me kind of going and clearing my head. And then that just kind of cascaded into going and running a little bit more and get me going for the day. Yeah. I'm not very good at 9 p.m. after I, I'm pretty much done for it. <laughs> like, not very much. <laughs> but but you're day. going strong. You shifted your day, right? Yeah, you yeah, just, it's like, all right, that bell curve. It just exactly. shifted a little bit well, earlier. The earlier you go to bed, the earlier it is, it's easier to get up early in the morning. Then. It is. So it is. Start the day earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's talk about music. Ooh. He's going there. I oh, man, I just, I just, I, I know you're a music guy. I am a music yeah, guy. Yeah. So I'm this a... is unlike a lot of a lot of these discussions that it we have the freeze up, you know, the cardiac <laughs> arrest at the moment of what's your theme song, and and I, I think I think Kyle's uh, in a different space. I am, and I think I think I'm different for my age, right? I I'm a super old soul. Uh, you know, before we were on, we were talking about Clapton. Yep. So I actually had. You know, I, knowing that, Tim, you were going to be on and everything, I, I kind of thought this was coming. So I actually had Layla on as, you know, one of my favorite songs because I, oh. I was watching 12 Bars and I was like, oh, you know, because Layla's oh, awesome, yeah. right? Um, and for like a theme song perspective, like that's just a great, that rift is just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I saw when um, Guns N' Roses were here. I don't know uh-huh. if you guys went to Guns N' Roses, but they played Le- uh, Axl Rose and uh, Slash played Layla. Okay. Oh, I, that oh, I didn't know that. was super, super cool. Um, but that's cool. But I'm actually a huge, huge Stones fan. Huge Stones fan. So when they came here, what was that, 2015 at TCF? Yeah. Oh, best concert ever. Okay. Best, can- best so, concert ever. So, so what's your theme song? I think it ha- it's either Get Off My Cloud or Tumbling Dice. Okay. Wow. Old yeah. stuff, Yeah, huh? yeah. Wow. Those are my two favorite. I also, I've been on a big <laughs> I've been on a big Bob Seger kick though too, and he's actually coming back. He was supposed to be in the fall, but he got sick, so he's coming back in the in the springtime too. So um, I've been on a big Seger kick too, but I don't know which Seger, Seger song though. Um, probably not like a rock because I always think of a mid '90s Chevy commercial whenever I hear like yeah, a rock. Yeah, <laughs> no, talk about an interesting brand connection. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that in in some ways he might have depleted his brand a little I bit. I think by he did a little bit so of a solid there, but that's all right. So, the, which gets me into a whole separate conversation about this. There was a time when bands did not want to be associated at all with anything commercial. Yeah, yeah. that that was like. You're selling out to the man, exactly. all of these things. And then <laughs> right, that's bad. If you look today, I mean, it is, that is 
where I think a lot of you know the younger bands, younger artists, that's that's part of that mix. So going back to yeah. your snowmobile sponsorship, you you know bands almost are like being sponsored to yeah. some degree of. Well, they, of, I mean the the revenue model relies on uh, on licensing today mm-hmm. for especially for a lot of mid mid level bands. They need oh, the yeah. licensing from movies, from YouTube videos, from uh, from sponsorships basically, uh, in order to, to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's just an interesting cultural shift, right? And and, and mm-hmm. when did that happen and what was it the economics yeah. that drove it? Was it some of the societal acceptance? Because I think there was a period where if you had heard uh, you know, a Bob Seger in in a commercial. It's like he sold out. I'm not listening to him anymore. Yeah. And now it, that that response from society isn't there. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, then you see with the bigger sports things too. Like I'm thinking the Olympics. I can't remember what song is on there. They look for for uh, for specific songs that like target to maybe that demographic too. So that's an interesting yeah. interesting point for yeah, sure. Very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kyle Simonson. Thank yeah. you very much for uh, for joining us at the Behavioral Grooves studio today. Yeah, and, thanks for uh, having me. We look forward to um, to going live and sharing your information. All right, thank you. Thanks so much. for having me. Welcome to our grooving session, where Kurt and I groove on what we learned from our Behavioral Grooves interview. We have a free-flowing discussion on some of those topics, and frankly, whatever else comes into our little heads. Little heads? Well, little heads today. (laughs) So, Kurt, what did you think of, of, of Kyle's comments? So, well, first off, I just have to say, I think he is going to be the only professional snowmobiler that we have on this podcast. <laughs> Definitely, I, I just have a Definitely. I have a vague assumption, and may, you know, I might be proven wrong, but yeah. uh, I I don't know of many. I guess I I, I don't know of professional he's the, snowmobile. He's the riders, only one I've or, ever met. Yeah, me too. So, so, so which that, is yeah. interesting. I I was that was a pleasant surprise when I found that out. Um, but on on the stuff <laughs> that Kyle <laughs> was talking Whatever. about, right? Yes. Uh, I I thought the the conversation that interested me most uh, was again it was a topic that we have covered in in some of the other interviews that we've done. The that intersection of machine learning, AI, big data, along with the behavioral science principles and psychographics uh, and the ethics of what is that line when you get to the point where those two intermix so much that you can target a message that pulls at somebody's emotions that they don't even know about, and you can really influence uh, their behavior. I could feel it. I could feel that little zip going up my spine when Kyle said, um, really good marketing uh, exists when, when when you don't see it. Yeah. You know, this idea that you shouldn't see it, uh, this is this to me sounded like, well, we're appealing to the unconscious. And that's what marketers do. Yeah. And and it absolutely begs the question of what is the ethical dimension of that? Where is the line? What is the guideline that we're going to use to make decisions about uh, and, uh, the appropriateness of a nudge? For instance, when is it appropriate to use choice architecture? Yeah. And I think it's that, it, you know, for me, there's this component of, as you said, you know, marketing is about that unconscious influence. I mean, if you look at a general Nike ad, 
if you look at you know the just do it campaign or or the Apple campaign, right? They're they're tugging at emotional things that you don't necessarily understand, right? It's this element of different things, but it isn't. It's this broad based appeal, and it isn't targeted specifically knowing that Kurt, you have this personality profile oh. and that this message will actually influence you this much more than uh, alternative message and that we should use the color blue because we understand how that's going to impact you, you, you specifically. Specific, yeah. So why does that bother us more? Why, why, is it, why is it something that we're less comfortable with when we believe that this big data, AI, machine learning, uh, you know, um, automated marketing model is going out and reaching you with a very specific targeted message versus the, the television ad that has a very broad-based appeal that you happen to fit into? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's one, I think, that lends itself to the ethical question that we're having, right? Because we, we still, in all of these, we've talked about this, what's that line that you don't want to cross over? And, and we haven't been able to paint that line really quickly. And I think it's because I, I'm not quite sure as to yeah. where, why it feels different, but it does feel different, right? It, it feels, it feels to, to what Charlotte said, feels a little creepy, right? It does. Um, and you... I, I, and I can't place my finger on it, but maybe it goes back to to what Charlotte was saying. It's kind of some of those social norms, social mm-hmm. norms, and and do you use knowledge about your friends or you know people acquaintances that you maybe not even friends like people that you have background knowledge on and different things to try to influence them? I mean, that seems creepy in a real world life too. It's that salesperson yeah. who who comes up and. Uses I don't know. The... Well, okay, uh, and and when it's done specifically, we we bristle at that, mm-hmm. right? When it when it's targeted specifically at one person, and yet if that same very specific information was integrated into a, a larger campaign to say, Kurt is the type of person that mm-hmm. we're going to go after. Who we want to go after people that like blue. And so we're going to use the color blue. And so we're using Kurt as an example, but we want to go broader. And yet, so when, when that, that kind of campaign is designed, we tend to be less mm, concerned about the ethics. Yeah. And it, it's a good question. And I think it's something that we can probably think about. And, and I don't know if, if any of the listeners have thoughts or comments on this, I, you know, leave us a note because yeah. I, I think this is one of those reoccurring themes that we keep coming into as, as we're doing this. So, so any other, well, and and just one more thought on that social norms, I think could be an important part of it. It's it's seemingly the difference in, it could be as slight as the difference between how I feel when I get a text versus when I get an email Mm. or, or the difference, right. It's still a message, but I react differently. I, I've, I feel an obligation to respond differently to a text versus uh, an email or the way that I feel when when there's two people sitting next to me in a restaurant having a conversation that's a little bit loud and n- not awful but just just a little bit loud and I, 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 I'm willing to sort of disregard that. However, the person who was on the phone talking at the same volume, and I'm only hearing one side of the conversation, that 
that irritates me more. It's like, why are you having this conversation right here, right here next to me? Is it just because I'm only hearing one side of the conversation? So you're saying I should text you instead yeah. of email you? <laughs> if you want to get my attention. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I disregard most of your emails anyway. I, so I, well, you know that, right? It, it goes both ways <laughs> okay. there, Tim. It goes okay. both ways. Uh, okay. So what? Uh, anything else that you found interesting from uh, Kyle's conversation? You know, I... I uh, sorry, I'll let you answer. I Yeah, uh, uh, the whole idea that marketing is behavioral i thought that that was just great yeah you know the if fundamentally what we're trying to do what what marketers are trying to do is 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 influence behavior yes. and let's just let's just call a spade a spade basically yeah. well and you can talk about attitudes and opinions and you know all of that but in the end if that doesn't lead to somebody changing their behavior in what they're doing marketing has absolutely, I mean, why would an organization expend its energy on that? Right. Exactly. So so I think that's there. I I was also interested, um, you know, Kyle, like myself, uh, listens to uh, Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. He liked his books. I, I think I mentioned that I'm not a big fan of the books as much as I am of his podcast, which I, I still, I, I love. I was listening to one this morning. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good sleep. So uh, that, and then I think he's the the only one. We talked about this a little bit before, but the books, predictably irrational, and the Undoing Project. It was. I was glad that he he cited uh, Dan Ariely's uh, book. Uh, it's it is a. I think you and I both agree that it is a seminal work, mm-hmm. uh, especially for kind of getting people into understanding what uh, behavioral sciences are about. It is. The, it's the book that when people who are not familiar with this work, I, I am. It's the one that I always recommend yeah. because I think it's such an easy read. It has some fun, interesting insights into it that really make you go, hmm. Right, it's a gateway drug. <laughs> it's right? the gateway yeah. gateway book. We'll get them into. It is. We'll get them into some of those those more you know textbooks. Later. <laughs> right, and he's the only one who's talked about the Rolling Stones. I oh, mean, tumbling dice. There you go. It just kind of made me go back and think about it. What's what's on your uh, music list these days? What are you my music to? list these days? So again, uh, the eclecticness of of my music taste. Uh, I was I was going with a a local band. Oh, great! Um, that is no longer, but is uh, one of those bands that uh, I found just fascinating right and 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 they they influenced i think an entire generation of of musicians who's could do so absolutely influenced a whole generation of musicians yes they and, created a sound that was remarkable yeah and 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 to that you know the the songs that are under two minutes in length for you know their first few albums, Land Speed Record, and you know where you're listening. You, I want more. I want more. Wait, oh, you're done. You know, it's yeah. like there. Um, but but they had uh, their their album Candy Apple Gray. Um, I don't know if you've, yeah. but that album uh, I had it on cassette, and I listened to it <laughs> right after. Listened to it after my father passed away. Oh, oh! I was going to make a snappy remark about cassettes, <laughs> and now, now I can't do that. I'm, and I'm sorry, but it was just one of those albums that that was comforting, and oh. and I don't really understand why, but um, I will always appreciate, you know. Uh, 
Yeah. That 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 music. Could so. we uh, could we guess that maybe it was an unconscious level of comfort that was appealing to you? That it wasn't a, it wasn't a conscious thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's something, you know, the the lyrics of, um, you know, one of the songs in particular that I'm drawing a blank on. Which, why this is my this is this is your superpower. Old the old man's brain here. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I just remember driving back from Wisconsin to uh, Iowa at the time, and, and that was the, the, the cassette that was playing. So. Wow. And so not, let's get off the, the downer mood and go on to a, a happier. What about you? What's, what's on your musical discussion list today? Well, you know, we've, we've talked to, um, you know, people recently kind of from all over, and but specifically in Britain and, and uh, Scotland. Uh-huh. And uh, actually, I've been, been thinking about uh, one of my favorite bands of all time is The Sundays. Oh. Uh, Harriet Wheeler's band, who, if you're not familiar with The Sundays, Harriet Wheeler just has this magnificent voice. It's a three-piece band that they churned out, or four-piece band, but they churned out tremendously um, artistic um, stuff in the 80s. And... Um, I think uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic is just a tremendous record. Uh, it's got got great stuff, and it showcases Harriet's uh, abilities both as a songwriter, uh, a lyricist, and a um, and a tremendous singer. So. Yeah, it's um, fantastic. So uh, I, I did have again. 80s music is my my genre. That, so that, that's your bag, baby. That's my bag. <laughs> All right. So with that, listeners, thank you for uh, tuning in. And as always, if you like it, give us a rating on iTunes or Podbean or whatever uh, pod system uh, acquisition platform. model. Mm, yeah. I don't even know. Distribution, what, podcatcher, whatever. Podcatcher. Yeah. I like yeah. that. That's yeah. what we should call it. Uh, give us a good rating uh, and, and share it with not one, but two of your friends. Two friends. Just two. Just two friends today. And uh, they can share it with two friends and they can share it with two friends. Yeah. We're, right now we're being listened to in 42 countries. Mm-hmm. So uh, now is the time to get to 50 countries. Let's set that as a goal. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but let's let's try to expand that. So it's not just South Africa, but it's also uh, Lesotho. Let's there we say. go. How about let's, that? Uh, I'm looking for, do we have anybody from Egypt? Do you know? No. If, if anybody knows anybody from Egypt, there we go. We or need, Saudi Arabia. Or we are Saudi completely Arabia. underrepresented in Saudi Arabia well, right there now. There we go. Yes. All right. <laughs> and with that. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.